Now we're turning to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, please. And we're going to read a few verses together. And trust that the Lord has something to uh, say to all of our hearts because we need to hear a word from the Lord this morning. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, and we're commencing to read, please, at verse 1. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethphagan, to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a cold tide where on never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. And straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and they found the cold tide by the door, without in the place where two ways meet. And they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him. And he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches of the trees and strewed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow they came from Bethany, and he was hungry. And seeing the fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out then that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves? And the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter called to remembrance, and saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto him, Have faith. In God. Now I want you to come over, please, to chapter 12. Chapter 12 and verse 41. Chapter 12 and verse 41. 
And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For, for they all did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Now one final reading, please, and that is in chapter 14. Chapter 14 of Mark's Gospel. And commencing to read, please, at verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste made of the ointment? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone, why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. Whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Very, verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. Father, we just come now in this meeting to your word. And Lord, I stand before thee this morning. And I pray that you will come and that the Holy Spirit will take full possession of my body, soul, and spirit. I pray this morning, Lord, that you will help in the ministry of the Word, and I ask that you will come, Lord, and open the hearts and open the ears of every individual here today. We pray that you will just put a covering, Lord, around this meeting this morning. We pray that you'll remove every distraction from us. We ask for that deep sense of the presence of God to come, and Father, we pray that you will impart life into this gathering today. We ask it in thy name and for thy sake. Amen. This Sunday that is known as Palm Sunday is the commencement of the last week of our Lord's earthly ministry. He sets his face as a flint to go towards Jerusalem. And that verse way back in Isaiah chapter 50, I've been thinking about it during the week. It's referring to an archer who puts the arrow into the bow. And the flint head upon the arrow, he pulls the string and he releases the arrow and that arrow will never turn back. And here the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes now to the end almost of his earthly ministry. And he sets his face as a flint to go towards Jerusalem. He could say that mine hour is now come. In fact, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, it says, And Jesus, he went before them, and they marveled. And as they followed him, they were afraid. It was Albert Lockyer who penned a book concerning this week, and he called it the week that changed the world. And it's interesting as you read through John's gospel that 
Almost 50% of John's gospel is given to these last seven days of the Lord's earthly ministry. I want to talk to you this morning about lessons to learn from the last week. Lessons that you and I can draw from this morning as the Lord Jesus Christ, he sees the shadow of the cross in front of him. As he knows all that he's going to go through on my behalf and on your behalf, there's some wonderful lessons that you and I need to learn this morning. And not only do we need to learn them, but we need to apply them. You know, whenever you and I were at school, some of the most important lessons that we ever learned were in the last years, even the last months of our education. And so it is whenever we come to this last week of the Lord's earthly life, there's lessons that you and I as the people of God we need to glean from and we need to apply to our own heart and we need to, as it were, live by them as principles in our own Christian life. The first one I want to talk to you about this morning, and I'm not going to really go through them in detail today, I'm just giving you a few thoughts and nuggets for your own study, is the tide colt. The Lord Jesus, he comes, and he's going now towards Jerusalem. He knows that Judas will betray him. He knows that Peter will deny him. He, he knows that the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees will come and accuse him. He knows that the Roman soldiers will pierce his hands and his feet. And as he rises on this Sunday morning, the first day of the week, he makes his way towards Jerusalem. And as he comes past the little village of Bethany, just over to the side, there's another little village that we read about. It's called the little village of Bethphaga. And what the Lord Jesus does, he, he sends two of his disciples. He says, go into the little village over against you. And you'll find a colt there, and you'll see that it is tied. And here the Lord Jesus, he says, go, find, loose, and bring. Those two disciples, I don't know who they were, but they headed off down the, the slopes of the Mount Ol of Olivet. And they come down to the little village or the little hamlet of Bethphaga. And they come to find a colt. And I'm sure you've heard this preached on many times before. But this little colt was a colt that was required. God had something for this little animal to do. Way back in the prophecy of Zechariah in chapter 9 and verse 9, you'll read there the prophet Zechariah, he said, Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh. He cometh with salvation and he is lowly, riding upon a colt and a foal, a colt of an ass. And here this little colt, God had one thing for it to do. Not ten things, not two things. But there was just one thing that God had for this little animal to do. It didn't have any special gifting. It didn't have any supernatural power. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, Stephen... I wonder what God has got for me to do. And here this little animal that was tied and it was a required colt. I tell you there would have been no cross if there had been no colt. And I can apply that to every one of us this morning that God has got something for you and I to do 
that no one else can do, and it behoves every one of us as the people of God is to find out the calling of God upon our life. You know, whenever Emily's playing at home there, she'll have the little shapes and there'll be squares and there'll be boxes and triangles. And you know, she has to put it into the right hole. And what she'll do is she'll try this one and she'll try that one and she can't get it in and then she'll maybe just fire it away. But you know, whenever someone comes along and puts the right shape into the right hole, it goes into the box. And my dear people, I want to tell you this morning, there's a position for you if you're saved this morning, and you would need to find out where it is, and you would need to find out what it is that God has want, wants you to do, because there's coming a day when every single one of us will stand before him, and we'll give an account of the talents that he has given to us. There's the application to every one of us here. There was one thing that God told Noah to do, and that was he built an ark. There was one thing that he told Esther to do, and that was to stand for the nation. There was one thing that he told Jonah to do, and that was to go to Nineveh. And there's many things that you and I, I tell you this morning, we need to know what God wants us to do. Not only was this little colt required, it was redeemed. Way back in the book of Exodus, it says that every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with the blood of a lamb. And if thou shalt not redeem it, thou shalt break his neck. And I don't know if this little colt, I don't know if it ever saw the lamb that was slain on its behalf. I don't know if it was there or not. But there was a lamb that died for this little animal. This little colt was purchased. It was precious. It was paid for by the blood of a lamb. And my dear people, there's a wonderful application to every one of us here this morning. Whenever you think of the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who died for you and me, and I'm sure like the colt, my, as we gaze upon the cross, and no matter how long we're saved, we still can't really take it in why he would die for people like you and me. And the Apostle Peter says this, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. And he said, we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know, there's going to be that wonderful anthem on the coming day. And whenever we're going to actually see the Lord Jesus Christ upon the throne, what a day. And we're going to sing with that angelic host, worthy is the lamb that was slain that has redeemed us to God by thy blood. Now, I want you to listen to us this morning. Not only was this little animal required, there was something God had for it to do. Not only was it redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, not only was it purchased and precious, and not only was it required, and not only was it redeemed, but listen to this, it was restricted. The Lord Jesus said, whenever you go into this little village of Bethphaga, you will find a colt, and it's a tied colt. That's the one thing that will mark it as an identification above every other colt in the village, and I'm sure there was many. I'm sure there would have been donkeys in this corner and little colts on that corner. But the Lord Jesus said to these two disciples, whoever they were, there's one cult that I'm after. I have a job for it to do. I have something I want it specifically to do for me. But while it's required and while it's redeemed, it's restricted. In other words, it can't do what I want it to do. It has life, but it doesn't have abundant life. 
It has ability, but it's not available. It's useful, but it's not usable. The limitation to this little coach's usefulness was just the length of the rope. And my dear people, I want to tell you this morning that many of God's people are still on the rope. And while they're redeemed, and while God has a wonderful plan for their life, while God has set a will that is good and perfect and acceptable, something for them to do, a slot for them to stand in the gap and fill that purpose for the will of God. My, many of God's people, maybe even here today, and thank God for the work of the cross, and you say, Lord, I'm so glad that I'm saved, but there's still a tie in your life. And you can never seem to get to do what God wants you to do. You see that word tie? It's a very strong word. It's a word to be bound. It's the word to be wound around. It's the word to be tied up. It's the word that they used whenever they were embalming a dead body. They tied it around again and again and again. It's the word that was used of the demonic of Gadara. My, the demonic of Gadara, that man that was filled with a legion of demons, it said that men, they bound him with chains. It's the word that is used concerning Peter in Acts chapter 12, whenever he was in prison. And there were 16 soldiers, and there was the four gates, and then there was the chains that he was bound with. It's the same word that is used of the woman in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. She was a daughter of Abraham, but Satan had bound her for 18 years. Now the question you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself this morning, is it possible to be redeemed and restricted? Is it possible to be born again and still bound? Is it possible to be saved and snared? Is it possible to be forgiven and not free? I propose to you this morning that it is. And one of the reasons why so little of God's people and so few of them ever really press through into victory is because there's still ties there. Paul talked about being entangled. He talked about the yoke of bondage. He wrote to young Timothy and he talked about the snares of the devil. That word snare is the word of noose. It's the word of trap. The other Friday night I went through with the young people that snares that Satan uses. And there's snares that he uses upon God's people. One of the great snares that he uses is sin. Whenever the children of Israel, it says in Exodus, whenever they were out in the wilderness, that there was a certain sin that they were involved in, and the Bible says it became a snare unto them. They couldn't break free from it. And while they had come out of Egypt and the, the Passover lamb had been slain and the blood had been applied, there was still a, a tie in their life. There was still something that was holding them. And sin can become a snare. It can become a tie. That's exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. He said that the, there's a law that worketh in me. And he said, O oh, wretched man that I am, who, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I wonder this morning, is there a sin in some believer's life here today? And it's a snare. And God has something for you to do. And just like that little cult, you're so glad that you're saved. But you can never really break through into freedom. You can never seem, as it were, to really enjoy the presence of God. There's a tie there that needs to be broken. 
There's a snare that has laid hold upon your soul, and there's no joy, and the word is dry. There's no passion, there's no vision, there's no sweet fellowship, fellowship with God. Communion is barren. Oh, I tell you this morning, sin can become a snare. The Bible talks about the fear of man that bringeth a snare. And fear can become a snare. The fear of the future. Fear of bad health. Fear can grip us and men and women all around us today, even in society and in the church, are gripped by fear. And the fear of man becomes a snare. Pride can become a snare. Prejudice can become a snare. That's what happened Jonah. God had something for Jonah to do, but he couldn't do it because he had a snare in his life and it was a prejudice against the people of Nineveh. A partnership can become a snare. And I'm sure you know this very well that whenever a man goes into the Masonic Lodge and he makes an oath and they put the the bag over his head and they put the rope around his neck and they hold a knife to his heart and say, if you ever conceal uh, the secrets of the Masonic Lodge, your heart will be cut out and your tongue shall be sliced. And he makes an oath and I can tell you it becomes a a snare. The relationships of the world can become a snare. Relationships with men and women can become a snare. Whenever Saul wanted to get young David, this is what he said, I will give my daughter unto him, and she shall become unto him a snare. And there's so many snares that the devil sets for the people of God. The past can become a snare. You remember Gideon. Gideon, the man that was mightily used by God, he took the gold. He took the gold from the the victories of the battles and he he made an ephod out of gold and the thing said that it became a snare unto him. The past can become a snare. And maybe you're here today and there's wounds in your life and maybe there's hurts in your heart and sins in the past and things that have got hold of you this morning. And just like the colt, that's the real marker of identification in your life that you're tied. God has so much for you to do. God wants to liberate you. God wants to use you. God has something for you to do. But you're tied. You can't get free. This little colt was not only redeemed, it was released. It says these two men, they went and they found it and they loosed him and they brought him to the Lord. The Bible says that the Lord hath need of him. It's a word that is used of Lazarus. Whenever Lazarus came out of the tomb, you remember he came and he was bound by his hands and his feet and he had a napkin around his mouth and the Lord Jesus said, Loose him and let him go. And Lazarus came into that place where he was able to have life and life more abundant. And you know that's one of the great tactics of the enemy. The enemy always wants to suppress gift. And that's why so many of God's people, they never find their gifting. They say, well, I haven't got a gift. I don't really know what my gift is. Because what the enemy does, he suppresses the gift. He ties it down so you can't really discover it. But whenever you and I come into the full freedom of the work of the cross, whenever you and I, I tell you, come into that place and we walk daily with the Lord and he can cut the tie, he can deal with the the snares in the life, you and I, we discover our gifting. I was talking to a man recently, and this will maybe help you tell us straight at this morning. He said, I was in a prayer meeting the other week, and he said, there's a, there's a sister there, and she prays, and he said, you know, she always prayed a good prayer. Theologically right, it was an energetic prayer, it was 
bang on the mark, everything that she said. I totally agreed with it. And she said, he said that she didn't come for a number of weeks and she came back to the prayer meeting and the prayer meeting was almost over and they were going to sing a hymn and then they were going to close and suddenly this dear sister began to pray. And she began to really lay hold of God in a way that she had never done before. And everybody in the prayer meeting just knew that this woman, what had happened was she had broke through in an area of her life that was, was tied. There was a restriction there. Whether it was the fear of man, whether there was some snare, whether there was sin, I don't know what it was, but all I know is the dear brother said to me, Stephen, she just broke through with God. He said it was almost like somebody running down the runway with an aeroplane and then they hit the thrust button. And they take off and they, they really break through into that place with God. And my dear people, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants to do with every single believer here today. He wants to utilize your gift. He wants to use you. He has something for you to do. But I wonder this morning, have you ever found the call of God, the will of God for your life? Or is, is there still a tie there? Is there still a hole there where you're still restricted, where you can't break through into the freedom of serving God? Whenever this little coat was loosed and brought to the Lord, they put the coats on him and covered him with garments. And this little coat with his big ears and his little wobbly feet it actually carried the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. And that ability that it had was now turned into availability. That usefulness was now used for usefulness. And that little cult, I can tell you, it just exalted the Lord Jesus in a way that no one else in that day ever did. He just lifted the person of the Lord Jesus Christ up. It was covered over with all of the garments. And that little cult, step after step, moment after moment, carrying the person of the Lord Jesus, it was required, it was restricted, it was released. And I trust this morning that we need to learn that. It's a lesson that we need to learn for our usability, our usefulness. And I trust this morning and every one of us want to break through into freedom. And every preacher will know what it means when they stand in a pulpit and whenever they can feel from the very congregation there's some people and they're not free. Not free to praise the Lord, not free to enjoy the blessings of God, not free to be at liberty and enjoy Him in the way that others can and there's that tie and there's that hole there. There's that snare that can be there. But oh, my dear people, I want to tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that has a ministry of delivering his people. Amen. And whatever it is today, whatever it is in your heart, whatever it is deep down in the recess of your life, again, whether it's wounds or hurts or whatever it may be, someone has wounded you or said something to you. Maybe it's failure. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's sin. Whatever it is, I don't need to know this morning. But oh, this is what the Lord Jesus said then. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We need to enter into that freedom. And you say to me, Stephen, but everybody that's saved is free. Well, let me ask you the question this morning. What about a man who's saved and he still has the problem of pornography? Is he free? What about the sister who is saved but has a problem of gossip? Is she free? Not at all. We need to apply the freedom of the cross to our heart. And all of the work of the cross, I can tell you, is sufficient to deal with whatever it may be, snares or ties or whatever it can be. The Lord Jesus Christ is able to break the power of cancel sin and set the prisoner free. Is that a reality in our heart today? Is that a reality in your life? 
Is that a reality in my life that we're like that little colt and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, if it's just one thing, I'm going to do it well. And that was the language of the Apostle Paul. He said, this one thing I do. One thing. There's not only the lesson from the tied colt. There's a lesson from the tree that was cursed. The Lord Jesus Christ, he he has that wonderful entry into Jerusalem. And then that night he goes back out to the little village of Bethany. And we read this morning that in the morning he came and he was going back towards Jerusalem and he was hungry. To think of the one that created the world. To think of the one who upholds all things by the very word of his power. He knew what it was to be weary. He knew what it was to be hungry. My, I really marveled at that during the week. And as he makes his way in towards Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives was covered with trees. The Bible says that he saw a fig tree, one fig tree. It stood out. It had lovely leaves. The, the leaves were lovely and green. There was, there was plenty of foliage there. And he said, that, uh, that fig tree has fruit there that will meet my need. And as he walks towards it and he, his disciples come with it, the Bible says that he came to the fig tree and happily if he might find any fruit thereon. And he looked on that branch and there was no fruit. And then he maybe looked on that branch and there's no fruit there. And then he moved, maybe moved a, a, a branch covered in leaves and he, he looked for fruit on that branch, but there was nothing there. And the Bible says that he found nothing but leaves. And you say to me, Stephen, but the Bible says it wasn't the time for figs. Well, I'll tell you something about a fig tree. A fig tree always brings fruit first and then the leaf. The leaf always went around the fig. And the reason why it did that was to protect it. And what this tree was really saying, look, I've got leaves and so I've got fruit. And the Lord Jesus went to it. It caught his attention. Maybe people used to talk about it as they walked the road and say, look at that fig tree. Look at the size of leaves on it. Look how fresh it is. My, it must be a very fruitful tree. But whenever the Lord Jesus got up close to it, whenever he could see the branches and whenever he could move all of the exterior, there was no fruit there. It was just a facade. It was all show. And the Lord Jesus, you remember what he did was he pronounced that curse upon the fig tree. The only time in the ministry of the Lord Jesus where he ever destroyed anything was a tree that was presenting something that it didn't have. I wonder this morning how many of us are like that fig tree. And the Lord Jesus is looking for fruit. And whenever he got to the fig tree, there was no fruit thereon. It was John Brown, the famous actor, was asked by the, a reporter one day. He said, sir, how is it that you're such a good actor? You know what he said? He says, I've learned to fake it. I've learned to fake it. And just like the leaves of activity and religiosity, the, the leaves of fake sincerity, whenever the Lord Jesus pulled it all out of the way, he was looking for something to satisfy the longing of his heart, but it wasn't there. And there's an application, of course, to the nation of Israel. They had their altars, they had their ceremonies, they had their rituals, they had their sacrifices, but none of those things could ever satisfy the longing of God. And then there's an application to our own heart this morning. He's looking for fruit. He's not really interested in the leaf. He's not really interested in if we're trying to portray something that is not real in our life. He's looking for reality in our heart. He's looking for, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of holiness, the fruit unto righteousness, 
the fruit of repentance, to live a life that is fruitful and fruit-bearing for the Lord Jesus. You know what happened to the tree? It withered up. And whenever Peter saw it the next day, you know what he said, Lord? It says, it's dried up from the root. The problem was in the root. The problem was deep down under the soil where no one else could see anything. The leaves were lovely and the, the tree, I'm sure, was a lovely color and a lovely shape, but there was no fruit there. And how that spoke to my own heart. We can have everything all right on the outside and I'm all for that and we need to do that. We need to hold to a standard, absolutely. But there needs to be fruit in the life of you and I as the people of God. We need to be marked by fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. And as we mentioned that the other Friday night, I think it was Isaac who prayed in the prayer meeting after the young people's meeting. He said, Lord, I don't want to be a fig tree. That's a good prayer. I don't want to be a fig tree, Lord, with just leaves but no fruit. I want to have something to give. And there's a lesson that you and I can learn this morning that we need to have fruit in our life. The Lord Jesus said that ye shall know them by their fruits. And I trust this morning that your desire should be as all of her desires is, Lord, I want to be fruitful this morning. I don't want just to have leaves. I don't want just to have a show. I just don't want to present something that's not really there. I want to be marked by sincerity and reality. That's a lesson that we need to learn now very quickly. There's not only the lesson of the tight colt, and there's not only the lesson of the tree that was cursed. There was a lesson of the treasury that was observed. And the Lord Jesus was sitting on this last week and he went to what the Bible talks about, the treasury. And he was watching men and women casting in the money out of their abundance. And the rich people came and they, it says that they, they cast it in. The word is there, they cast it in reluctantly. They didn't really want to give it. And whenever all of these rich people were giving, they maybe held it up to the, for the crowd to see and then they dropped it in. And then there was a woman came. The Bible says it was a certain woman. She was a widow. We don't know her name, we don't know her age, but she came into the treasury and she had in her hand two little mites. They make one farthing. And she came and the Bible says that she threw it in. The Bible word there is the word she willingly gave all that she had. And the Lord Jesus got his disciples around him and he said, man, let me tell you something. See that little woman, that little widow that came with the two little mites, the little farthing that she had, she gave more than they all. For she cast in all that she had, even all her living. Those two little mites was the very thing that she needed to feed her belly that day. She needed those two little coins to buy food for her just to survive. And the Bible says she cast in all of her living. Everything that she had, she gave it to the Lord. I can tell you that really smote my heart during the week. To think that this little woman, she gave all that she had. And my dear people, what a wonderful thing and what a wonderful motive to have in her life is to serve the Lord with all of her heart. She could have sang like Francis Ridley Havergill, take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee, take my silver and my gold. Not a mite will I withhold. And she came and she cast it into the box. She gave the Lord everything that she had. I don't know even if she knew the Lord Jesus was watching her that day. But here she is recorded in the Word of God for you and I, an example for you and I to learn from. She came as a living sacrifice. She gave it all over to the Lord. And here's a question for you to think about. Who fed her that day? Do you think she had to go out on the street and beg for money? Not at all. I tell you, the Lord Jesus knew how to provide for this woman. 
The Lord Jesus knows how to provide and care for those who give their all. And the prayer of my heart has been, O Lord, bring me to the place where that little widow was, where I can give my all to you, where I withhold nothing back. She had too little might, and all she had, all she had to sustain life, and she gave it to the Lord. I tell you, time has beaten me this morning. There's not only the tree that was cursed and the the colt that was tied. There was a temple that was cleansed. The Lord Jesus went into the temple and he, he drove out the money changers. He, he drove out those that were selling doves. And he, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And you've made it a den of thieves. And he cleansed the temple. And then you know, just two days before he was nailed to a cross. Two days before Judas sold him. Two days before they stripped him and they mocked him and they beat him. He resorts out to the little village of Bethany again. And it says there that while he was in Simon the leper's house, and Lazarus was there, Martha was there, the Bible says then came Mary. And she came, I would love to have seen it, I would see the Lord Jesus at the table, and Lazarus is there, and Peter is there, and John is there, all the disciples are there, and they're maybe talking about the miracles that he did. They're maybe talking about the the dead that he raised, about the the lepers that he cleansed, about the multitude that he fed. And they're just talking to the Lord and suddenly the door opens and here comes in Mary. And she comes with an alabaster box in her hand. My, from from the hills of the Himalayas, this fragrance from another world. And she comes to the feet of the Lord Jesus and the Bible says that she broke the bottle and then she anointed his head and she got down and she anointed his feet. And the aroma filled the house. And she got down and it was a shame for a woman even to be seen in public with her hair down. And she loosed her hair and she got down on her hands and feet, down beside the feet of the Lord. And that's where she always was. She got down there again and she took her hair, her glory, and she wiped the feet of the Lord. And the aroma that she put on him came back on her. And the whole house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Scholars say that it's the most perfect picture of worship in the Bible. She came and she gave the Lord this alabaster box of ointment and she poured it upon him. She didn't use it on Lazarus whenever he died. She kept it for a living Savior. Judas, whenever he saw it, he says, you know, you could sell that for more than 300 pence. More than 300 pence. In our wages today, you know how much that alabaster box was worth? 25,000. And here she comes into this into this room with all of the men there. She comes with her alabaster box worth in our day to day 25,000 pounds. And she comes and she breaks the bottle and she anoints the head of the Lord Jesus long before they ever put the crown of thorns on his head. Long before they ever plucked the hairs from his cheek. Here she comes and with gentle, tender hands, she anoints the body of the Lord for his burial because she learned at the feet of the Lord in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, what the disciples never learned. She learned that he was going to die and she didn't want to give this offering to a dead Savior. She wanted to do it whenever he was alive. And she comes in and she gets down and she anoints the feet and the head of the Lord and the aroma, the worship, comes into the room. The very atmosphere's changed. And the indignation rises in the heart of Judas. And this was the very thing that tipped Judas over the edge. Because after Judas went out of the home in Bethany, he went to the Pharisees. And instead of giving the Lord 300 pence, he sold them for 30 pieces of silver. And Mary, she came. And she gave the Lord everything that she had. 
And the Lord Jesus stands and defends her and he says, let her alone. Listen to this. This is the epitaph that the Lord Jesus Christ penned over the life of Mary of Bethany. She has done what she could. I wonder this morning, can that epitaph be penned over any of us? He or she has done for me what she could. She gave all that she had. They say that spikenard, pure liquid nard, can be smelled for over a week later. And I'll tell you, whenever Judas kissed him in the garden, he could smell it. I'll tell you, whenever the Pharisees got him and they smote him, they could smell it. I'll tell you, whenever the Roman soldiers got that crown of thorns and placed it upon his lovely brow, and every lash of the whip there was an aroma of another world, there was one woman that came with gentle hands before the wicked hands of the world, and she poured worship and adoration upon her Lord. And my, the very centurion at the cross, they would have smelt it. And Mary of Bethany came to the tomb on the first day of the week in resurrection morning, and I tell you, she had the work already done. She had already gave, gave him all of her love. She already had lavished upon him all of her adoration. And she stood it in the garden, of, the garden of the tomb. And I wonder, was there still the sweet aroma of what she had done? You know, my dear people, as we close this morning, that's exactly what we're going to do now. That's exactly why we gather around the table. The Bible says in the Song of Solomon, chapter 1 and verse 12, While the king sitteth at his table, my spikenard sendeth forth the smell thereof. And what we do is we gather round the table on the first day of the week. You know what we do? We bring, as it were, our little alabaster box and we give him all of our praise and all of our worship. And there's a aroma that rises from our heart and sometimes we sing, Worthy of honor, worthy of glory, worthy of praise is he. And there's an aroma that rises from our heart. And surely this morning he's worthy of it all. The lessons that we need to learn from the last week, the lesson of the tide coat, the lesson of the tree cursed, the lesson of the temple cleansed, the lesson of the treasury observed, the lesson of the treatment he received. And I trust this morning we'll not only be hearers of the word, but may we be doers. And may every one of us have that appetite over our life when we reach the glory. He or she has done, she has done what they could. And let us be men and women that will really live for the Lord. And if there's a tie in your life, if there's problems in your life, come and talk to us. We're here to help you. If there's things in your life that need to be dealt with, if you need prayer, if you need to open, open the word of God, we'll do that. But my dear people, God has something for you to do. There's ties that need to be broken. There's restrictions that need to be released. And to get into the center of the will of God, and just like that little colt, exalt the person of the Lord Jesus. Lift him high and give him all of the praise and all of the worship. Father, we just bow before thee this morning. And we just thank you for your word to our hearts. And we thank you for every individual here this morning. Whatever the need may be in their life, Lord, we pray that you will meet that need. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful lesson that we can learn today. Lord, we think of Mary as she came and passed the commotion of all of the men that were there. She bowed at the feet of the Lord and she brought this 
alabaster box and poured the adoration upon the blessed Son of God. And how, Lord, she did what she could. May, Lord, in this last dark closing days of time, may that be the epitaph that is penned over all of our lives, that we do what we can for thee, Lord. Only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Then while I'm dying, oh, how glad I will be if the lamp of my life has been burnt out for thee. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless us now as we sing this hymn and those that go. And Father, as we gather around the table to remember all that your Son has done for us, may this morning there be an aroma of praise and worship and adoration rise from our heart. We ask it in the Saviour's name. Amen.